United Lutheran Seminary presents the Seminary Explores podcast, conversations on faith, art, people, politics, theology, life, and more, with voices from around the corner and around the globe. Welcome to the Seminary Explores. My name is Nelson Strobert, and today my guest is Dr. Leonard Hummel, who is Chaplain Hospice Alina Healthcare in New Ulm, Minnesota. Uh, but he's not a foreign to uh, the East Coast in that he is Professor Emeritus from United Lutheran Seminary here in Gettysburg and Philadelphia. Welcome again to the Seminary Explorers. Thank you, Professor Strobert. It's an honor to be here. Okay. Um, <laughs> may, or may I, I, call, I, may I call you... <laughs> what? May I call you Nelson? You call <laughs> yeah, just call me Nelson. Please. <laughs> okay. At this point, I'm, I'm going to start off by asking you, what is hospice care? That is the big question, and I'm glad you asked it. And I'd like to answer your question by telling a story. And the story is, my orientation as a hospice chaplain two years ago through the Alina Healthcare System. Um, and as I know, Nelson knows, and all those who teach know, being oriented and, and learning things is very important to begin well at work. So at my work, uh, I received intensive orientation where that, that is what was asked, what is hospice care and what does it mean to be a hospice care professional? My experience was learning in the sense that a lot of information came my way about medications, about regimens, about people who have questions about this and this. But one particular story, Nelson, sticks out in my mind that I think answers the question, what is hospice care? An educator in hospice care began with this story. She said, imagine the human condition, the human condition where we need food, water, clothing, shelter. And she said, imagine if added to the human condition was this, everybody's gonna go to Paris. Just like all of those other elements I just described, what if it were an essential element of the human condition that everyone, la condition humaine, that everyone would go to Paris? You might say, okay, so what? But what if it were the case, and it is the case, that if all persons are gonna to go to Paris, for each individual, there are better and worse ways to go to Paris. There are things that would help them make the journey there will things that will, when they are, arrive, and they can say, je suis arrivé, that they are arriving in a way that's better for them given who they are, what they want, and will make a difference in what they experience at that moment of arrival. She said, hospice, and that there are those professionals who can help every individual when it comes, as it does, to make their, their journey to Paris, to help them make the journey that's best for them. She said, that's what hospice care is. Because sooner or later, she said, all of us are going to Paris. Right, right. And that is what hospice care is. It is a profession, professional team of persons who act as guides, who act as guides who have very general knowledge about various ways to approach what's called death or the end of life which every, all of us will do sooner or later. They represent a variety of disciplines that 
speak to different dimensions of what that arrival is about, medical, nursing, spiritual, social work, psychosocial. On the other hand, they want to tailor that journey to the wishes and needs of an individual because for each individual, for each individual, given who they are, there are better and worse ways to get to Paris and also to experience the end of life. And that in essence is what hospice care is. It is a branch within medical care, but deals very specifically providing that kind of guidance in a whole variety of areas. Okay. That's the, of all the things that I was taught in three days of intensive learning, that's the one thing I remember because I think that's the one story that says it all. Okay. Okay. Well, um, I, I think many of us have heard the term hospice and hospice care. And then uh, at the same time, uh, we hear a lot about palliative care. Yes. What is the difference between the two? Or is there a difference? There, um, that's, I love that question because it is a difference sometimes uh, where there's a distinction in theory but not in practice and also in practice but not always in theory. You might think of hospice care as a subset of palliative care. So, so palliation simply means relieval of pain. That's the Latin pallior. <clears throat> and there is a recently developed branch of, med of medicine called palliative care, where their primary goal is to provide symptom relief for any kind of suffering that occurs, not only for those who are approaching the end of life, but at any time that they are experiencing some kind of illness or disease. Oh, okay. So then hospice care becomes that branch of, of palliative care that's specifically concerned for the management of well-being for those persons who have been whose prognosis is that their life is approaching the end more, more sooner rather than later, sooner rather than later. But, but again, to get back, palliative care would be for any kind of pain management for a person experiencing any kind of difficulty. Okay. So that in, in hospitals, uh, uh, when one, you know, they will often ask, how much pain are you in? Yes. And, and then give you uh, medications to, to help relieve that pain. Right. So you're saying that, so... Many of us uh, who have been hospitalized have had palliative care. And you might, you might think that would be the important thing that would occur, that not only your symptoms being treated, but at some level your comfort. Yeah. And, that, and, that, and that's a nice substitute word, mm. comfort, mm. That, yeah. your, that your comfort level is being addressed. And whether, whether it's being done officially through a palliative care service or whether the people who are doing that have attended in services provided by palliation care and have learned that in the routine care, this is something to which they should attend. It could be one or the other. But there are specialists who are called in at various times in, in, in routine medical treatment to say, hey, you know, we'd like a little, can, can you help us out? Because we've got some questions about the best way to help this person be comfortable, who may or may not be dying, who yeah. may or not be approaching the end of life. Okay, thank you, yeah. thank you. Uh, and now, in the, within the United States and throughout the world, yes. we have... We are going through and have gone through a very severe pe uh, period uh, with COVID-19. Yes. And I would like to know how were you able to carry out your responsibilities yes. in the midst of this uh, pandemic? Uh, differently, um, in, in many ways. Um, 
Uh, and I'll back up and say I, I was fortunate to be one of the first U.S. citizens to receive uh, vaccination so that sooner rather than later, I was able to make appropriate in-care visits with persons in facilities and at their homes. Uh, but before that time, uh, we all struggled with what uh, it meant to not be, to say it somewhat crudely, vectors of, of illness, possible vectors of illness, and therefore had to figure out how are we best going to serve people at mm -hmm. this time? And we we did so. Uh, the the difficulties were to visit or not to visit in person, right? The, uh, to visit virtually or or in other ways. Uh, to wait until someone was very. It seemed very obvious that they might be actively dying, i.e., that they might pass within a matter matter of hours or days. Versus that that's unclear, and therefore. Uh, being less of a risk that they might contract COVID if we visited them because they clearly were on their uh, a way out, if I may say it that way, yeah. uh, versus not. But then um, um, what also is also very much uh, appreciating what they themselves wanted. There were persons who did not want us to visit under any circumstances because they were afraid of catching the virus. There were those people who insisted nearly that no matter what, we visit in some way because they didn't care. They wanted to visit. And, of course, one of the problems that many people who were ill, mm -hmm. especially in facilities, experienced was isolation. Right. Isolation from family members. And also, in various degrees, they also experienced a diminution of care, of various cares. Uh, many of them weren't receiving massage therapies and, and other things. So it was a very, it was a troubling time. It was a very troubling time. So I, I'm not sure, except to say we, we every day was a new day to figure out uh, how is the best way to be both the professionals that were providing care, to meet the needs and also wishes of people, but also paying attention to restrictions that were being placed on our visitations, especially in facilities where the concern was there would be rapid spread of virus. Exactly. And uh, you talked about dealing with the individuals, yeah. uh, the patients. Uh, um, what about your interaction with their families? Did, yeah. they, did they put pressure on you uh, at any time or, uh, uh, you know, to, to do that visit, as you say? Sometimes um, it was more a matter, a lot of my ministry was consoling them in their sorrow that they themselves could not visit. Mm. I mean, I, 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 uh, I didn't experience much pressure from them. I, I mostly experienced a, a need for me to be some kind of consoling presence to them in the midst of their understanding that 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 that, that but not always understanding but not liking that they, that their loved ones were isolated and, right. and 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 that they couldn't see them yeah exactly it was a yeah very difficult yeah you know, it, it it was and there and there's still reverberations of that just could it, you say some more? Oh, about just that? just just that there 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 are people we've noticed now who seem happier than they seem to be during COVID, and we understand why. It's because they're getting more visits. They see they're seeing their loved ones. It's yeah. Oh, indeed. Um, as um, being chaplain, hospice, you know, um, uh, whether are you involved with other staff members in in this in this ministry? I am part of a team. I am, um, in other words, I am, my technical term is a spiritual care provider. That's, uh, it's, it's one of the mysteries of, 
of healthcare administration in the United States that there is a mandate, a mandate that spiritual care be provided in hospice. That's almost oh. worth repeating because it's yes, kind of under, un, and I would simply say it's not necessarily what Thomas Jefferson envisaged and when in terms of um, religion and, and state, but there is a mandate that Medicare services provide uh, funding for their, someone who provides spiritual care. So I, as there is for various other services, clearly nursing, clearly medicine, mm -hmm. i.e. doctors, clearly social work, and a whole variety of other therapies, music therapy, massage therapy, um, sometimes pet therapy. But I, I, I work as part of a team. And that together we assess where people are, what their needs are, how our interventions can be responsive to those needs. And together we coordinate our work yeah. and our visits uh, in order to provide what it is we understand uh, the person themselves, the person himself or herself is asking for in their in their care. Okay. okay. And, and we meet regularly. We Every morning we talk. Oh, every morning? Every morning we talk on the phone or meet. And once a week, we have had been meeting in person. Now we meet virtually. But we review caseloads, details about responses, interventions, and back and forth medical doctor, social work nurses. So, yeah. so it's an ongoing conversation in, in that sense with, with each, looking at each individual, right. you know, so they're, you're not, they're not mass, but you're really providing their individual care. That's our, that's our mandate is, yeah. to, is to come up with treatment plans and then interventions that, that, that respond to their needs. Um, yeah, we've been talking about the, yeah. the term yeah. hospice, but, yeah. um, is this hospice new? How did that? How did this ministry uh, uh, and this assistance uh, develop? Uh, yeah. Even in the United, is it only in the United States, or did it develop elsewhere? It developed elsewhere. Um, as as with many things, there's some dispute about the origins or archaeology, and certainly there are precursors to this understanding that persons who are at the end of life need care. Obviously, that's always been a concern within the Christian church. Obviously, throughout history, um, facilities, hospitals in many ways were facilities long before they became large scientific institutions where places of people in need and refuge could be cared for, often who are at the end of life. So there's nothing new there. But within the practice of medicine, especially after medicine became more focused on treatment of symptoms and alleviation of symptom pain mm -hmm. or disease and therefore allevi alleviation of disease. The question was, well, what does it mean to care for people who are going to, I, I like the word die. Some people prefer end of life. I find that's a circumlocution. Pe people are going to die. Right. Uh, and, uh, and to say, hey, wait a minute, we're not going to be able to cure them, which is the goal of much medical care, but they still need thoughtful care, even though they won't receive cure. And most historians will say Dame Cicely Saunders, and, and I, if, you, if you go to Wikipedia, you, there's much more about her, her background, her, her uh, setting up allegedly at St. Christopher's in London in 1967, the first hospice care where she 
finagled or did whatever magic she did to sort of have there be an institution where it was focused on care for those who were approaching the end of life. But that quickly became a philosophy and, and, and process within medical care where people said, this is what we need to be thinking about. How are we going to care for people, care for people medically? Mm. But our goal is not to cure, it is to care and provide comfort for them as they approach the end of life. Oh, and okay. so the within our country, um, should I tell a story? Um, I had no, no, please. <laughs> I had one patient who um, I'm serving in New Ulm and part of the culture there is people don't like don't like to be in debt. <laughs> and one man uh, called me in and he said, uh, yeah, he said, God damn it. You can edit this if you want. God damn it, Reverend. I know there's going to be a bill because this is medical service. And I stood up and I said, John, look at me. I am your tax dollars at work. 1982, Ronald Reagan signed the bill and it keeps getting re-upped by Congress. And within the United States, it is through Medicare services. It's through, um, and also Medicare, Medicaid. Yeah. Is, is, it, there, there's a provision that there, and their criteria, of course, for admission, that this and Congress keeps appropriating every every time the bill expires, without question, some form of of Medicare service. So that so it's provided, and it is essentially, except for certain medical devices, and except for perhaps certain needs to be in a hospital at some time for respite care, but often not. It is. It, it comes at no cost to the patient or family. Right, right, right. I know both my parents had been uh, under hospice care. One, uh, one parent was in the hospital, in a hospital, uh, in get receiving hospice care, uh, and uh, the other parent was at home, and both received you know very good care in in, in their last days. Very important. Oh gosh, thank you. Um, uh, when. Is hospice care determined uh, for a patient? Uh, and because we, we know all know well, many of us know of people who have been sick. Yes. And then, when is it determined, and who determines uh, when hospice care begins? Uh, a medical doctor uh, signs off and says, given this person's current medical condition and the prognosis based on that current medical condition. It is reasonable to expect that this person will expire within six months. Okay. At, in one sense, it's as simple or clear cut as that. On the other hand, not every person in, in the United States who may or may not, by other person's medical judgment, expire within six months, receive hospice care. It only comes about as something a person elects. It's something a person chooses uh, but also, it's not simply they're choosing hospice care. There needs to be a physician who will sign whatever particular Medicare, Medicaid forms there are that given, as I said, this person's condition, it's, it seems reasonable to assume that he or she will expire within six months. There are many people, on the one hand, who um, are on hospice care for many years, and that's simply because... Oh, really? Yes. I that, that doesn't, I, I, when doesn't, you mentioned the six months... It doesn't always happen. It doesn't always happen, and years is more unlikely rather than less. And, right. I, and I have to say, I'm 
impressed with the uh, capacity of at least my team to make pretty astute diagnoses that yes, that happens, but many of the people we admit are uh, are, are at the end of their life, before, you know, right. in, within six months. Uh, on the other hand, there are people who uh, the term is um, sometimes used graduate from hospice. Mm. And that's simply to say that they experience a stabilization or even an improvement. And um, it does not seem likely based on that, that they will pass within a six month period. So of course there are, there there's a process of recertification and evaluation that is ongoing. Okay. What's looked for is some form of continuous decline that indicates the person is is moving toward the end of life. Okay. That's well, the, that's the simple way to say okay. it. Okay. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, uh, with your yes. work in this field um, and your experiences during this pandemic, yeah. Um, what have you learned about hospice, hospice care um, during this crisis, in terms of your, of your own professional development? Well, um, I, as you said, I, I, I was, I began my career in ministry as a hospital chaplain for ten years. Uh, and actually, one of the first hospices in the United States was set up in the hospital where I worked by, by my supervisor. So, okay. and, and so I knew hospice care was out there, but it's not something with which I had much familiarity. Whenever I would teach pastoral care, I'd quickly get on the phone and call this hospital, right. hospice chaplain that because, as, and you've teased me about this, Nelson, I always like to bring in people who know more than I do so I can, <laughs> so I can learn something. I think we all try to do that. Yeah, well, but, but also in fairness, you know, yeah. in fairness. And the opportunity arose, and I thought, "What is this about?" Frankly, I found I found this person's story that with which I began to be extremely compelling. About we're all going to Paris. Right. This is this is this is part of life. I quickly kind of tried to formulate what the hospice experience is about for those who are and their family members are about, and I have come up with this, that in many ways, the experience of hospice is about what it means to experience love within limits. What it means to experience human warmth, human connectivity, the sense of being appreciated and appreciating, but also with the fact that there are limits. What it means for persons who are at the end of their life, for those, their family members, and also those those of us who care for them, what it means to experience human warmth, human emotion, uh, given that there are limits. And of course, within all of life, there are limits, but hospice speaks to that question of what it means to be a human being and warm and in connection with others, where the big issue is that some kind of termination is about to occur right. and then people making sense of what love is about and then making sense of what it means that this is going to occur and what it means that well for me as, as a chaplain what it means to have faith hope and love given all those things right oh did i answer your question i don't indeed, know indeed indeed yeah. well i can't believe uh we've been talking for a while now and uh i want to thank you for your insights and sharing your experiences uh as as, as a hospice chaplain. 
Hospice Chaplain. Uh, my guest today has been Chaplain Hospice uh, Aliva Healthcare in New Ulm, Minnesota, Dr. Leonard Hummel, and who is also Professor Emeritus from United uh, Lutheran uh, Theological Seminary. Uh, thank you for being our guest. Thank you, Nelson, and, and blessings to all those who at the United Lutheran Seminary community. Bye-bye. Okay. For the Seminary Explorers, this is Nelson Strobert. Have a good day. You have been listening to The Seminary Explorers, a production of United Lutheran Seminary with campuses in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania and Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. We invite you to visit our website at unitedlutheranseminary.edu. Opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of United Lutheran Seminary or the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America.